Welcome to the third episode of Corner of Hunter and George, a podcast where I speak to artists from Peterborough, hence the title, and also some artists who maybe have played in Peterborough, but are not actually living here. So an expansion. And when I say artists, the first three have all been musical artists, and those will probably be the highest category, highest number of any category I do on this show, but it is not limited to music. Just make that clear right now. Also, make clear that more or less a replay of this interview I'm doing today on this episode with John Crow's lead man, Donald G. Daniel G. Wilson, is going to be replayed on Trent Radio on my show Electric City, which uh, plays it every Saturday night at 8, and I'll probably replay that on December 11th, 2021. So today's interview is with Daniel G. Wilson. I admit I was not really on my best for this interview. I It probably was a combination of like just being tired from work, and that's an excuse, but I honestly kind of was. I didn't really delve into material that they had done as a band before their uh, current album, Richmond Station. I didn't really deal with his love of Harry Belafonte, who now that we're in December, that is a common tradition around me at, at Christmas, listening to his Christmas album. That's not probably what he thinks of Harry Belafonte only. He's not limiting him to his Christmas music, but it's definitely someone I've always loved. And things like that. I just didn't really feel like I was totally on my best for this. But anyway, this was my attempt at speaking with a very honorable, really likable person, Daniel G. Wilson, the head man for the band John Crow. I didn't also deal with their sort of punk kind of approach combined with sort of a folky kind of approach that you'll hear on one track later today. They are from Mississauga. They, one of their favorite places to play is Peterborough, and I suggest you check out their Richmond Station album. It's just sort of a combination of both, and also, what's also really unique about them, and this is a credit to Daniel, I think, mainly, if not totally, is this rich understanding historically of Jamaica's past, and now that they're able to just put that automatically into some of these punkier like songs. On my Electric City program I have played, for example, their uh, Maroon song and in a three four minute piece you're getting um, historical lesson of a figure of the Maroons of Jamaica from 300-400 years ago, I think at the beginning of the 18th century is that historical tale and their attempt to do I guess what Haiti did and try and defeat colonialism. Anyway, Daniel G. Wilson's a lot more eloquent than I, so let us hear that now. So someone else coming on as well, like you said, right? Uh, we were supposed to. Uh, over the weekend, she had a flat tire and this very time period is the only time she can actually get it fixed. So, okay. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Uh, um, okay. Well, uh, welcome. My name is uh, Tim, Tim Snodden. Um, Pleasure. I'm kind of sorry I look a bit of a mess. I'm going in between uh, tasks here, and which means different outfits for some of them. But uh, <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Um, but um, 
yeah, I uh, welcome. I, I I guess I was first really uh, got into your music about a month ago, um, and uh, maybe a bit longer than that. And it one sort of thing I guess I was going to theme my interview on today uh, is kind of I think. Um, when I look at your band and your band's history and the background of it, and plus experiences you've had as a band, it kind of, there's sort of different locations or localities that can be, can be brought into it. Um, so I, I was going to start off first, since you, the most simplest one, perhaps, uh, the mo maybe the most benign one. Um, so you're, you're a band from Mississauga, which, yes, you know, indeed. Canada's sixth largest city economically booming, but uh, to a lot of people, it may be, um, you know, if they think Mississauga in their head, there is a bit of a struggle there. Um, I myself, I had, uh, I, I've never lived there or anything, but I used to have uh, in-laws that live kind of around um, Credit Valley be on old carriage road between Dundas and Queensway kind of area. So I know, I guess I was just curious what, um, because since I assume it's Mississauga where you met, um, wh whereabouts, like sort of, is there anything Mississauga itself brings to you as a band or uh, anything you take from it? Or is it sort of you struggling against the suburbia of it? So sort of have a mixed up question, but are, I guess are you using Mississauga as an asset or is it something that you kind of, uh, kind of just sort of, keep as a locale where you met and nothing more it's it, i'd say it's an asset so we're based in mississauga um uh, mm. technically like we practice here i i live here still our drummer used to live here he recently moved to toronto uh we're never calling ourselves a toronto band um right uh so and you know mississauga a lot of how we go about things how i personally go about things is shaped by being from mississauga the mu the in diy music scene here was very like was kind of it was very active up up to a couple of years ago and that's the scene that i key that i came out of the band formed out of originally and so those are the, still the people who i'm trying to kind of match in terms of musical quality and kind of you know, playing and how I arrange myself and everything else. Um, in terms of an asset, well, I mean, how many bands say, how many bands are from Toronto? You know, how many bands say they're from Toronto? And even, they don't even really all live in Toronto or even practice there sometimes. I'm happy being the band that is from Mississauga and wears it proudly, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I say it's an asset. Just, it just makes us stand out, stand out more than being another band, wannabe Toronto band, you know? We, we right. stand out more that way. Right. And yeah, if you're in reality, if you're trying to be a Toronto band this, these days, you got to have a bit put into real estate or something. I don't know, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've, I, lately, I guess I'll just focus this mainly musically on what your last, your, album currently at richmond station which i you know when i first looked at that or we or are we talking about the you know bay street area here but no i i got the meaning of it sort of and um i take it and on northern jamaica's coast that's kind of a tourist location or something of that nature it's it's certainly promoted that way online um and is that sort of the area where you or your parents originally came from or 
Um, first, I'll say you did, you've done you've done some research. Uh, thank you yeah. for that. Um, I don't specific the Richmond area. I don't really. I growing up, I never really saw it really as a tourist area. But then again, I have also seen like some different sections of it. So I, I, I so yeah, that's pretty cool. The area itself though is very nice. Um, yeah, my dad. So my dad's family, um, going back, I forget how many generations on both sides are from that. Richmond area, specifically the hill um, that's just above the, 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 the township itself. Um, and um, yeah, I, my dad's family's from there. I, that's also partially where I grew up because I spent a good portion of my childhood in Jamaica. So that was fun. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the name itself, Richmond Station, because uh, Jamaica used to have her train used to have an active railway system for years uh pretty it closed down a couple of years before i was born mm. um so i never got to see it in its heyday but i do know that like up until when it closed down particularly even richmond it was a very bustling kind of area with the railway and everything so i wanted to name the album after that to honor both you know where my paternal family's from where I have a bunch of memories and also to kind of as a reflection of Jamaican history to where that area's history kind of honoring that area um that history of like Richmond Station used to be a more prominent kind of place you know okay and what what sort of uh what do you think really stands out about uh Richmond or that that area that uh that um you find is I, I, I guess gives it a unique flavor and something that you can definitely like uh, embed into your music. Hard to, hmm, hard to say exactly. I mean, historically Richmond has been interesting. The railway system, as I mentioned, obviously mm -hmm. um, we did have a prominent member of the Jamaican music community come from there specifically. Um, Ken Curry, um, Tough Gong Studio that, you know, Bob Marley's studio mm -hmm. used to belong to Ken Curry. Um, and Ken Curry was one of the OGs of like the Jamaican musical industry in terms of having some of the first pressing plants, one of the first record producers. Um, this guy was amazing. And I'm happy to say he came from <laughs> basically my hometown <laughs> in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. Um, and in terms of everything, like Richmond's a very, it's a very, now from my memory right because remember i i came along after like the, the kind of promo prominent years mm. um it's a very kind of quaint town it's a little town a little quaint town um cool geography it's the, the layout's kind of cool in a way it has a lot of branching paths and roads um the hill right the hill specifically where i where my dad's family it lives on again it's basically like a general area uh, it's very nice hills and gullies. I used to run around there all the time in the bushes and everything, the scenery, the mountains you could see in the distance. Um, a lot of that just goes into the into my music in terms of just kind of like a uh, kind of like the lyricism, the kind of the, the vibes, uh, just kind of green space and everything else, as well as just, I guess, cultural aspects. Um, you, you see you, you see things. Uh, just the normal bustle of the city, the colors. Uh, it tends to come out in terms of like the imagery we use as a band in terms of, you know, cover art, for example, what I will 
commission commission for example like i usually have very specific kind of you know i art ideas um musically it's the reggae it's the traditional like pre-seeding reggae stuff that will also influence the rhythms the production style the love of just a murky kind of swampy sound uh, you know those are things that just influences influence me plus okay. also as well like my dad plus also my dad was like a um my dad was an obia man shaman essentially so i grew up with that side there uh with that side there so just a lot of stuff from growing up in that area and everything just kind of influences the music i make in just odd ways okay uh yeah you definitely seem to have like a deep um knowledge i i whether it's on personal experience or a lot of research but you definitely seem to have a lot of uh or maybe family lore as well that uh, uh, just uh not just Richmond, but uh, a lot of Jamaica itself that uh, certainly bring up in some songs you've done on this album. But first, the the band name. I heard you in one interview thinking that everybody thought you were trying to say Jim Crow, but uh, I, I wasn't ever taking it that way. But I admit I had to research a bit that um, what the um, translation of it is and uh yes I, I guess i have to wonder what is it about turkeys or turkey vultures that uh inspires this band name here john crow yeah um well the origins of that it's it's interesting so we when we started as a band back in 2015 we couldn't figure out a name and we had four members originally mm -hmm. um and they both quit before our first show they both played the first show, thankfully, so we weren't left completely in the lurch. And we were named True. We finally settled on Troubadour. I know, generic, right? Mm -hmm. Turns out, and this was a hitch with all of our other names, except Donut Duty, and we both we all agree that that was stupid. Um, Troubadour was there was a band around the GTA that had been named Troubadour, and I, they were not active, but I just didn't want to deal with them if we gain any promise them being like hey you took our name after you didn't use it for how many many years so right. and so in in trying to rename the band i as i always like to do i drew back on jamaican history and culture i'm like oh okay well john crow uh there's mm -hmm. no jamaican pot was a language but it has no set um phonology phonology is mm -hmm. a spelling right yeah and no set phonology so it's usually spelt phonetically so uh, maybe we could have spelt it John Crow like John and then Crow, John Crow with a with two A with, with an A. Um, but we picked that particular spelling. Uh, it looks good, um, easy to remember, sounds awesome, and the name it's unique as well because no one's really gonna make a band, a rock band name after of Jamaican Potwa. And vultures, it's kind of vultures are kind of dangerous, you know, vultures. It's as I've gotten older, um, the meaning, it, it, I realized it has a lot more meaning that I didn't even realize at the time. Growing up, I did see vultures everywhere. Like you live in Jamaica, you see vultures everywhere. Mm. Um, it just randomly in the sky, there's always a vulture, a John Crow running around. That's how I first knew about the name John Crow. Because as a kid, I just see them everywhere. And people are like, oh, John Crow, just everywhere. We have prov we have like sayings and proverbs with them. John Crow Ganyam your supper, basically like you know you you, you fucked. <laughs> no. um, and 
Yeah, and also vultures, you know, they're an animal that in many several cultures, you know, they are viewed as being like psychopumps or kind of having weird supernatural powers because they're like, they conquer death and they fly very high. You know, in, in, in Egypt, for example, vultures were using a lot of symbols for like kind of, you know, their death uh, imagery and everything else and mythology. Um, in West Africa, there's a specific uh, clan in Ghana that uses a vulture as their symbol, uh, as their like insignia kind of thing. Um, and in Jamaica, there's even a mountain range called the Jonkra Mountains, which is where we also named an EP after. So um, I'm very happy that we picked the name, both hmm. because it, it, it sounds very rock and roll, the animal it's a rock and roll kind of animal. And it also has a lot of deeper meanings that I'm deeper meanings that I just kind of been, I, I just kind of thought was kind of cool, you know? Yeah, no, I think it was a wise choice. I think Troubadour has kind of been uh, used uh, a few times and, uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know of any successful acts who've used donut in their name yet. Not, not yet anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so would you say one theme of Richmond Station is sort of your own exploration of your own childhood? I, I get this a bit, well, in particular from the last track, I get that, even though I'm not sure I quite understand all the lyrics, but I, I, so I, I'm certainly, certainly emulating a bit on that and uh, other, other parts of the album as well. So would you say that was one theme you went into this album trying to do, sort of explore your own childhood? Definitely, definitely. Um, in, 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 in odd ways, like I, like I call the record a loose concept record of sorts, right? Um, I wanted to explore in my childhood kind of a bit of the Jamaican experience. Um, again, obviously, I'm, I'm going to filter that a lot for my own like experience of it, right? Um, and also kind of like exploring kind of like a bits of familial history because um, familial history as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, like the experience of like, again, as I said, like, you know, running through the hills and the gullies, for example, like I didn't live in the city, for example, right? So, um, you know, I had, there was a lot more green space I was around. So growing up around hills and gullies, you know, finding odd things, you know, um, you'll, you'll see a lot of decayed architecture as well. Um, I call it, a, I call it trop, a tropical Gothic kind of vibe. Like there's a lot of decayed architecture, old world architecture, but kind of hybridized with a lot of colors, painted on graffiti if you go through the countryside in Jamaica. Yeah, you'll just see everything from, a, you'll see new houses, you'll see abandoned houses, you'll see a clash of old and new and just, I have no idea what. <laughs> you'll see the natural world in conflict with the modern world, you'll see a lot of different things. Then there's, you know, just childhood experiences filtered into lyrics, personal experiences. Um, you can take bits and pieces of, I leave that to the listener to kind of surmise specific mm -hmm. specifics. And just things you hear, like, you know, growing up, you hear things, family, as you said, family lore, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Lore of areas, folklore, uh it, it, mysticism you know uh even the song um uh villa de la vega for example i was inspired mm -hmm. about that specifically because grow because you you know family lore from like you know 
you know, the experience of, say, um, the Jews coming to Jamaica, leaving the Spanish, escaping the Spanish Inquisition, and the Taino, um, the indigenous people of Jamaica having to basically be almost eradicated and surviving being by hiding themselves within the population, within the population. And so those are aspects of my own family history that I kind of decide to kind of incorporate into into this stuff you again stuff you hear growing up and when you become an adult you you kind of learn the the full extent of what those stories were you know so hmm. and is there is there something about uh like the last few years that has given that a greater importance to you like that uh time period of your life uh also like kind of what you're saying, the struggle between nature and modernism that you see that, that you, you've witnessed there. Um, I guess during our COVID period, when people have had a bit more time to sit back in some ways, uh, is that given that a greater prominence to you in your own mentality or your own thinking? I, I, I would definitely say, I can't deny COVID has had a, an impact there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of grew over the years. Like when you're experiencing certain things, especially as a kid, like, like as a kid, I, I always paid attention. I would pay attention. Like I was that weird kid who would, you know, pay attention like in class. Well, I was homeschooled, but using the metaphor, mm-hmm. I was always that weird kid who would pay attention. Like, you know, I'd pay attention to the different stories, the folklore and everything. Um, so I would remember like things from at the time, but you know, when you're experiencing stuff, you don't immediately think of the full gravity of certain things. And then, you know, I had been in, I had then gone to Canada, gone back to Canada for X amount of years. And I had a, I had a very, I had like a, a lot of medical issues during my teenage years. So I didn't really have time to process a lot of things. And then, you know, just life. And so, but over the past couple of years, I started to increasingly think about Jamaican culture, particularly. Um, including, for example, even the band name, John Crow. So since 2015, I had been thinking a lot about it, right? So it's always been there, but increasingly over the past few years, more so. And then over the pandemic, I just, yeah, just you just start thinking about it. And, you know, as you get older, you start to think about your, your own history, your family history. You start thinking about your place in the world. And you start to kind of also perceive things differently, right? Like the maturity of age, and the years to kind of mull things over you kind of just like oh so that's what that was or oh this this meant a lot more than I thought it did or you start mm-hmm. to kind of appreciate things more and you know as well as just like again kind of understanding your Jamaican in my case my Jamaicanness for example and identity and everything so these are things that became more pressing as I just age don't particularly know why um I will say yes the time spent inside thinking about things did did add to that okay yeah yeah um yeah now uh i guess my last location i'll just talk about just briefly since i'm coming out of peterborough is uh you gave some quite uh complimentary comments about peterborough when you played when you played here and um you also were your the video of your concert you did at borderless music festival just came out a week ago or so i think like just a replay of it uh so i i guess i have to yes uh take with any sort of sensory or any sort of memories you have of your experience playing here in peterborough ontario 
Um, Peterborough. Well, Peterborough is one of my, literally one of my and the bands. Like it's our one of our favorite places to play. Mm-hmm. Um, Peterborough was the first major like out of town place we ever really played, and the welcoming we got there was amazing. Um, and we always, whenever we get a chance to play, we always love playing. We always love playing there. We love the people. We love the the areas. Nice, mm-hmm. um, and it's just amazing. Uh, some of our funnest shows have been there. We played a first festival there. We the first time I ever got some people to throw chips at me, I asked them to. <laughs> I got people yeah. to throw chips at me on stage. Was there first time I ever played a theater? Was there? Uh, Peterborough is always always a always an awesome place to play. So okay, y'all know how to y'all know how to bring it. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Yes, uh, yeah. Well, there is a bit of a, it's it's struggling like all places right now, but it definitely has a. We have a kind of a rich artistic background that we yes try to have nothing to do with Toronto or anything like that. <laughs> yes, um, and musically speaking, I guess I'll turn it to now. Like I I really uh, love the way your band kind of has this kind of natural flow between being kind of folky and then another tracks. It seems like this could, this could, if you were left on stage, this could turn from like a five to a 10 to maybe even a 20 minute jam. You seem to really love, love these jam things. Like one, one track that comes to mind is there. And I apologize if I'm mispronouncing this, but I think Nosmos Queda. Uh, I, I really, I really sort of, um, you said yourself that's sort of about like a um, about some kind of void uh, that piece, and you sort of hear it kind of uh, kind of musically in that too. And um, yeah, so I guess um, there's 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 definitely musical diversity in your band, and um, is I don't know it's a kind of like how you decide one piece is going to be constructed as sort of almost like a folk or folk pop thing to something that's a little more like almost a sixties, like Hendrix kind of feel to it. Um, well, a, a lot of, I often joke for the sake of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, our songs are literally just whatever random thought pops into my head that day of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's half true. Um, honestly, like I don't know. I I I I like uh, like a lot. Like I like listening to music. Like a lot. I like music across almost every genre except maybe bulk and turbo folk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and okay. I like yeah. and I like bulk and folk music. I just cannot stand the turbo folk. But um, um, you know, you know, music across from across the world, uh, just different styles of whatever. Sometimes I won't even listen to like music in English for them mm-hmm. because I just don't want to listen to Anglophone lyrics. But honestly, like, I always like, I just like that. So all that, those, those influences permeate into the music as well as the fact that like, um, we don't all listen to the exact same type, like Matt, finds a lot of my, our drummer finds a lot of the music I'll listen to sometimes kind of odd mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know uh and that kind of just impacts everything so but my favorite genres are generally like groove based I like anything with groove and rhythm um uh reggae funk for example reggae reggae and Jamaican music especially um 
you know, I like a lot of like, aggro music, punk styles, uh, alt metal, all the type of stuff. And part of that also goes into just, I, I like diverse musical palettes, you know, like I, I, I sometimes think, I, I sometimes think like if I had every single song sound the same, then it would get boring to listen to for an hour. And so why not just cram all these different influences into an album while still making it cohesive and, you know, like it works together and kind of make it, keep it interesting, you know, instead of having an, a, another song that sounds like, I know, a Ramones ripoff, why not just incorporate, let's say a, um, let, let's say a, let's say a seven, eight, uh, a seven, eight Irish jig or something. We haven't done that yet or just kind of mix different types of styles and just fit, fit the song, you know, for an emotional mm -hmm. arc. Because an album really is a collection. It, it's not just a collection of songs. It's, it can be an artistic piece of it itself and every song can fit. And a lot of my favorite bands also kind of are a lot more diverse in what they'll do. Like Converge has like songs that border on folk music, you know, mm -hmm. surprisingly. You know, uh, Faith No More, I mean, Faith no need I say faith no need I say more about faith no more, <laughs> you know, and Mike Patton's discography. Um, you know, even Jimi Hendrix bring that up, like, you know, he mm. had songs that ranged from, you know, you know, his you know, Purple Haze to like kind of the Wind Cries Mary or these mm -hmm. uh studio trickery type songs. The Beatles didn't would have like in the Beatles put like Revolution Nine on an album for God's sakes in the sixties, yeah. and that was a mainstream thing, you know. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of that's just kind. Of, let's say yeah, like a lot of that's just me kind of. That's basically a snapshot of how my brain works on a given okay. day. Okay. <laughs> when since they're not here to speak for themselves, what uh, do the two other members bring to the table musically that you were able to work well with? Uh, um, Matt, Matt, in terms of playing Matt, Matt hit like Matt hits like a truck. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, he is not a quiet player, <laughs> which is good. Um, mm -hmm. we don't need a quiet player in this. We don't need a quiet player, um, to kind of with all the noise and feedback going on in cacophony for mm -hmm. certain songs, like you need to be able to hit to get for, to pierce through Matt. Matt brings a level, a certain level of also like gear sophistication. He know, he knows like drums maintenance certain sounds and everything so i just leave that to him and that there's a confidence here because especially when you're recording like we, like we're recording ourselves and like ha having a working knowledge of the drums and kind of understanding the maintenance certain how certain sounds work and everything else that really adds to it and as well as his kind of openness to kind of try and play things mm -hmm. um he you know Matt, Matt, Matt's like, I could tell Matt, like, oh, try this beat. And he's not gonna, he's gonna call me crazy, but he'll try it. And how he'll, how he's able to translate, like, say, the weird, exotic kind of ideas in my head into, say, a workable, a, gro a workable and grooving drum beat. Mm -hmm. He kind of adds that as well. Um, Kieran. Uh, oh, you're going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to just a brief mention. So Matt was this story that you were telling earlier about how you had uh, one show with your original band and most of them walked off. At, but he was was he the one that stayed with you? Is, is yes. OK. All right. So loyalty <laughs> is there with Matt. OK. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, Matt. Yeah, Matt and I have a have a have an interesting brotherly dynamic. <laughs> we we only want to get each other's throats once once a month. Oh, well, that's that's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it used to be four times a month. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, uh, um. But uh, but now, like, yeah, we we understand each other. We have a understanding of each other musically, um, so we can work off of each other, and mm-hmm. it work it works well. Um, Kieran, our she's our, our newest addition. Oddly enough, she's been with us for two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, what Kieran brings, if from a playing perspective, she brings a kind. She brings an interesting kind of young energy, uh, sort of a sort of openness to try certain things, right? Uh, and as well as an interesting melodic sensibility and grooviness um, that with this band, right? Because again, if I did, we didn't have a overly melodic bass, I would have to hand in my Jamaican card. <laughs> um, so she brings that to the table. Her bass lines and bass composition is always is always exquisite. And it's always like, it's, it's, it's exquisite. And it gets even more so as time goes on, um, as well as an interesting dynamic to kind of match vocally. Like she brings an interesting vocal dynamic. Her voice and mind contrast each other perfectly, which I love. And she brings an interesting, again, from that angle, she brings interesting uh, timbre. She brings interesting kind of vibe and a melodic sensibility as well as a good sense of harmony. Um, so that that that's really there, and that's really good. And I guess even for a personality kind of aspect, she also kind of, she also kind of makes me seem less crazy. <laughs> okay. Because um, she is because whereas Matt will be like you're crazy and we'll try this out, you will be like oh this sounds cool. So it kind of it kind of balances out the personalities. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. So more of a calming aspect then. Yeah. Um, so one track I uh, so that I I played it before in uh, my show. I have a uh, one, lo- one lo- local radio station, but uh, the the story of this I I just you do explain it well, but I just uh, like to hear if you have anything more to say about it. Uh, so the Cujo Maroon War that's uh, like something that's uh, almost like a over a three hundred year old tale. I take it. Uh, yeah. And, uh, so I don't know, just for our audience, I guess, and just uh, what is, what historical figure or story are you trying to tell in this song, which is really upbeat and really uh, just fun to listen to if you don't pick it up at all, but still. Um, okay, well, Kujo. So basically Kujo um, is a story going back, a story going back, yeah, as he's about 300-ish years old, bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Maroons in Jamaica are a group, uh, our group, there are Maroons around all of Latin America. And I think there's even Maroons in like, I think like Mauritius and Seychelles. Um, basically they're escaped slaves. Um, and they were escaped slaves, their name Maroon Simaroon. Uh, I forget the, the exact etymological origin, but basically Maroon because black and then escaped slaves. Um, so there are Maroons in Mexico, there are famous Maroons, for example, like Gaspar Yanga uh, from Mexico, who basically starred the town of Veracruz. Um, and there are Maroons all across the Caribbean, as I just mentioned, Latin America. The Jamaican Maroons are interesting. So going back from the days of the Spanish, um, you had to be, you, there was always rebellions, right? So the first set of Maroons were, were escaped from the Spanish. 
Um, and then they went on to go into the hills. Um, they would, uh, they met up with, joined alongside the indigenous people. And so that is actually part of why there are still surviving like uh, indigenous, like indigenous Jamaicans today, Taino, um, the, their culture and their blood, they, it still survives to this day, hmm. uh, partially as I dismissed because of that. Um, and so you had various Maroon groups, um, including the leader Maroons with um, Kujo. And Kujo became one of the leaders uh, in that, in, during uh, this period. I think this was after the English came in or around that period. Um, and yeah, he led, he was interesting. He led, he, he led the, his particular group of Maroons across many battles. Um, and yeah, he's hailed, heralded, hailed as one of Jamaica's like race heroes alongside other Maroons like Nanny, uh, Nanny, Queen Nan of the Maroons. Um, there's also other Maroons, like for example, at one point we had two Maroon leaders of two separate groups named Juan de Bolas and Juan de Serras. I'm probably butchering the Spanish pronunciations. And I forget which, I always forget which one of the Juans. So at the time with both of them, this was when the Spanish in Jamaica were getting cast out by the English, there was that big wars they had over who would control the island. And one one, um, one group of Maroons sided with the English and the other sided with the Spanish over who would kind of control the island. And so it ended up where obviously the, uh, England, the English won. And it's from that happening that over, and two Maroon wars, Kujo took a part in one of them. Um, after the end of, I think the second Maroon War was decided that the Maroons would have like autonomy and treaties were signed that still hold true today. And so that is why in Jamaica, uh, there are several Maroon towns that have like autonomy uh, from the Jamaican government to a degree. Um, the Maroon Wars were, were cool. Um, they were amazing like battles between like the English forces and the Maroons um, just over just general conflicts for independence of the maroon of the maroon communities mm -hmm. they have their own culture their own like language um that to, to some extent survives today um and their own and their own laws they in their own communities for example they have very little crime um and they have their own issues and everything so they the maroons are very cool group of people. Um, I, along with many other Jamaicans, descend from Maroons who left the community, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and there, and, and you know, that just, it, 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 the Maroons are another example of like the diversity of Jamaica and a part of the amazing history of the island. I always like to think that I always wish more people who weren't Jamaican, for example, kind of knew about them, even mm -hmm. within the island uh, the, itself. Like, you know, the Maroons nowadays are not really as commonly talked about um, for the most part, but they're still like, they're still there. Is there anything similar to their scenario than our First Nations here? Since, uh, uh, like, do they have some, uh, do they have like their own kind of reserves or areas of land or? Yeah. Yes, they do. Um, yeah. Okay. In their own language, you were saying too. Yeah. Yeah. So the language, uh, the Maroon language, is specifically descent is specifically like descending from uh, from Akan or Paramanti. Mm -hmm. uh, the language is so it still exists, 
Um, it's not as spoken as it used to be. Well, I say that, but it could very well be <laughs> still be spoken. Probably they just don't tell mm-hmm. outsiders they still speak it. Um, it just but it yeah, it descends from um Akan, um various forms mm-hmm. of a dialects of Akan from Ghana. Um, and in terms of land, like uh, the treaties still stand. So the Maroon villages, I forget the, the all of the names, but the most famous ones are like Nanny Town, Akampong, Akampong Town. There are Scots, Scots Hill, um, if I remember correctly, near, that's actually not too far where my dad's family's from. Um, so these individual towns, they're all like land that is owned, belongs to the Maroons as community the individual room communities and they are autonomous from the Jamaican government Mm. um so in in a way I don't know the exact specifics but it's like they're basically if like if you're not of that it belongs the maroons are able to handle their own communities it's for them uh in terms of parallels to I guess the first nations here um, you have that aspect, like treaties, you know, mm-hmm. treaty rights. These are still things. These are still pre- these are still be pressing issues. For example, even recently, there were issues between um, I forget which um, Maroon town, which Maroon town, and like um, the Jamaican Constabulary Force. There's some controversy um, because again, they're autonomous areas. They handle mm-hmm. their own business. Um, and, you know, so there's still, though, the, while the trees still stand, there's still bat, there's, uh, land issues in terms of development, for example, um, environmental issues, those are still pressing with commute with maroon, um, communities and the wider Jamaican government, for example. Um, so it, the, there's similarities there. There's always similarity with, you know, in, indigenous groups and, you know, the wider, the government around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and respecting their rights and their freedoms and their autonomy. Um, as and from a cultural angle, there's also just the survive, just the survival of cultural traditions, right? Um, you know, in the case of the Maroons, like they're a, they have been able to sort of keep their traditions alive for hundreds of years, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, just that, just trying to make sure that people know their history, that their identity still exists and everything else. So those are just general things that, you know, no matter where you are in the world, all indigenous groups deal with to an extent. Um, okay. So it isn't <clears throat> what brought this uh, like quite profound historical analysis, but out in your music, um, is it something to do with it? like their story not being known enough or a bit more of like a anti-colonial sort of theme to it or or both or something else it's it's a mix it's a mix of all it's a mix Mm -hmm. so like growing up you you grow up in jamaica right like you these are just stories you hear right Mm -hmm. uh whether you whether you go to school, for example, or homeschool, like in my case, like you live there, this is what people talk about. Our money has like, you know, uh, features Nanny of the Maroons, for example, which is a, who she is, again, a, one of our national heroes, like Kujo. She, she's actually an, uh, identified as a national hero. Kujo was a national hero, but not like an officially kind of like governmentally recognized one in that same respect mm-hmm. as Nanny. Uh, we even called the $500 bill a Nanny, the Nanny because it has her on it. 
um, you know, we the like our heroes are maroons. Like our heroes are these. These are these are our he. These are our heroes. These are the stories we hear about. You know, this is our history. And you know, here most people don't know about that. You know, uh, just this extends to wider aspects of you know Black history, Jamaican history in general. These are things that aren't really talked about over here, especially like in a rock musical context. And it colonialism again. That's Jamaican history, you know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of the history when you're talking about Jamaican history, you have, it comes up, you know, that it's, it's an unavoidable aspect of our history where we were colonized up until the night, up until 1962. My mm-hmm. mom, when she was born, was a British citizen and she was born in 1960. She was a British citizen, you know, and that's a, and, and I think that part of our history also was kind of a, it's an important thing to note, you know, the fight against colonial powers in that regard. I think that's an important thing to discuss, to be aware of, to be inspired by. I've always been inspired by that history. And even again, within my own family, his family line, like, you know, these are people who I just, who I descend, who I descend from, right? So I, this is me also kind of examining and looking back into my own roots both family, personal family history, and also just as a Jamaican, kind of being like, this is, this is awesome. This inspires me to kind of, this inspires me. I want to share this story with more people outside of, you know, the outside of the general channels. And just, I think this more people should hear about this. And also, again, pressing into the modern day as well, I think, I always think that anti-colonial stories, um, stories of people fighting for their autonomy, their identity, I think these are stories that always have a place no matter what century you live in, wherever you live in. These are things that should be discussed and should be talked about. More people should be aware of them, you know, and, you know, these these are here. These are, these are, this is the story of the world to a degree. And yeah, and yeah I just think... Yeah, sadly, we're in an age where like, uh, I don't know whether information is at our fingertips, of course, but history seems to get quite, uh, I don't know, we're, we're becoming kind of lost of both awareness and meaning of our past in a lot of ways, but both like Jamaican or wh- whatever, like it seems to be, but yes, it's my perspective anyway, but uh, yeah. Um, so your list of influences a band like we could name a hundred of them and there's just one that I just I just can't resist asking being someone who's a Gen Xer I can't resist asking about this one because you did mention this band's name it wasn't at the top of your list but you did mention them so that's uh, a slow dive so I'm wondering if there's any any sort of like uh thing from slow dive that influences your music or anywhere that maybe it comes out subconsciously on Richmond station in some way. Slow dive. Let me think, let me see. Well, not the big, not the biggest influence on us or shoegaze in general. I will say Mm -hmm. they did the fact that they had a, uh, a dub, like a dub influence song Mm -hmm. um, that always influences me because I'm directly influenced by dub obviously, but like, I always love seeing like people take these influences in other contexts that further helps inspire me to be like, okay, well, you know, 
I'm not that, you know, I, you know, I can take more of this and do stuff like that, you know, like when I see like all these different types of fusions. So that's always cool. Um, but just generally kind of the fusion of female vocals, for example, um, harmonies, um, just vibe, um, a kind of freedom of sound. And as well, I love shoegaze. So like Sakura, for example, is a shoegaze mm -hmm. song, the production, like the fact the hazy production of shoegaze blends well with even just other elements like Lee Scratch pre-production, just the haziness. So fusing both together, you get like, you just listen to the to our music and you just get like, oh, so that's why there's all this feedback on <clears> it. <that> <laughs> That's but probably one major element. I honestly had not thought about it much, at least before today, but uh, like why I seem to be attracted to your music because yes, uh, shoegaze, yeah, definitely with slow dive or even um, even any attempts at sounding like Kevin Shields are, uh, are certainly uh, worthy listening to for me. Um, so I guess uh, my last question is just what is... Uh, now that you have this album out, what is the uh, band's uh, main uh, plans for either, well, the rest of this year, but probably we're thinking 2022? Um, well, for the rest of this year, well, uh, basically I'm going to be in production hell for the next couple of days. I'm in the process of making a, of like, I'm in the process of kind of doing a small compilation of some of my dad's like uh, old of live recordings that my mm. old live recordings transfer them to digital and kind of releasing them gonna do that for Bandcamp friday so that'll mm. be fun okay last Bandcamp friday year. so that's this week um next week pretty much physical releases maybe <laughs> of mm -hmm. the richmond station uh we have one show currently booked i can't really say where or when it is for certain reasons but mm -hmm. if that will be announced in another month um and honestly we're just going to be working on like the next record um and hopefully hopefully um we're able to play more to hopefully tour uh just do normal band stuff um that's about it i, okay. I will say the next record knocking on wood that nothing prevents it from coming out um, is going to be based is going to be based off of a, a hurricane and uh, thematically it'll be dealing a, again with Jamaican history and culture but think of that think of it more like a um, think of it kind of like what would happen if you mix Jamaican folklore with Jamaican Taino Igbo folklore with um, cyberpunk Mm, okay. All right. Well, there's a bit of that now almost maybe, but yes, even more, even more so perhaps. Yes. Okay. So that, yeah. Um, and uh, not that I'm claiming I have a huge audience, but if, if people are wanting to like reach out or like uh, learn more about you, what do you suggest in a social media sense for? We're everywhere except TikTok. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, mm -hmm. email, our emails, very, very easy to find. Um, yeah, we're pretty much everywhere except TikTok. And we, 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 I also don't use Snapchat. I know I'm a bad, I'm a bad member of Gen Z, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah uh, 
Well, not as bad as someone my age using it, but yes, <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. Yes. Um, okay. Well, uh, I would have loved this to continue more, but I have to take a cat to a vet appointment in just a minute. But uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Uh, I do really love your. I do really love Richmond Station. Um, is I guess I'll actually give a chance for one more here. Is there any track you think I really ignored that I should have that we could have? that you want to say a bit about or something on the, on the album? Pasa uh, Pasa. Mm-hmm. And what about that, that track in particular? Um, well, Pasa Pasa, Pasa Pasa is interesting. Pasa Pasa, Pasa is personally one of my favorites uh, mm-hmm. to play live, to favorite to record. Um, oddly enough it is probably one of our in terms of like audience responses probably one of the are like the probably the second like most well-liked song off the album mm-hmm. surprisingly mo- i've heard more i've had a lot more people talk about to me about pasa pasa than sakura shockingly mm. enough yes um that's a it's a math punk song so that always surprises me um pasa pasa basically pasa pasa is a it's, it's a pot phrase word phrase mm-hmm. hard i can't really yeah I, I, hard to say whether it's either word or phrase really um pasa pasa basically means um confusion um nonsense like when two people are arguing or they're in a domestic dispute we call that pasa pasa you know too much mess and nonsense or drama yes drama right. pasa pasa is drama um that, that's one trying we could translate it right and that's and, def- yeah. Saigon. Uh, yeah. No, that's definitely a bit of a change in theme from Sakura, which is a bit more of a, well, love song more or less. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And yeah, the music. I, I was very happy to do that. That was probably the most distinct Jamaican song we had had on the album in terms of the name. Like again, using Patwa, the culture for names and just imagery and everything else. Um, and what also was there was because like, um, also just the music that was probably our most like tough, tough guy song, quote unquote. And I'm very happy. I finally got a math punk song, uh, uh, a math punk John Crow song. Um, so I, that's one of the reasons I love it. Very, I, I, I was inspired by Don, by early Don Cab when I kind of came up with the riffs and everything, but it still shocks me that a song that one is not in English in terms of the the name mm-hmm. and that is a math punk song particularly from early dawn cab kind of inspiration i'm still surprised that and it doesn't even have lyrics for most of it i'm surprised that uh that was one of our more popular songs from that from the album that 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 just shocks me to this day well you could argue anglicization in a lot of areas of art is not so much a necessity these days as it maybe once was like in a commercial sense i mean but yes um well, thank you. Thank you very much for that. I will uh, try and put this together in the next few days. I'll uh, send you a copy. It'll, it'll play both on my podcast, uh, Corner of Hunter and George. That's just a main intersection in Peterborough. And uh, on my radio program, which is Saturday nights at eight. Maybe not this upcoming Saturday, but maybe the one after. So uh, I'll, I'll keep in touch with that. But thank you very much for, for your time. And uh, thank you. Uh, best, best wishes for your... Uh, show coming up in your upcoming album.
can see why that is one of their more popular tracks, actually. Just the total all-out approach on that. The jam feel to it, the, the aggression in that, you know, it's, it's really inaccurate of me to limit him talking about slow dive when you're hearing more of what he's said as other influence of theirs, like the replacements or the slints. Those are just two, but they're their own band with their own sound. And again, I apologize for not asking about Harry Belafonte. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. They did. They did love Peterborough. And uh, I'll see you next time on Corner of Hunter and George. This should come out in a day or so. It's now December third, and you will. Here, I one more episode from me this year, like for 2021, and then more in 2022, but one more episode for me in 2021. And this time, the next guest will have nothing to do with music. Nothing. So thank you, and I'll see you again next time.